Seventhly, the visitation of God. I'm just looking of something, looking for something here. Mm-hmm. Go with me to John 5 verse 1. I'm just going to go as the Holy Spirit leads and we're going to carry on from this morning. Just fix the sound, guys. There's, there's some feedback here. Plus, um, out of there, the praise and worship sounded very bad. Um, it's, it's, it's not good acute. Uh, John 5 verse 1. Say with you again, say the visitation of God. This morning we spoke about recognizing, responding. I'm not going to be long tonight because it is very hot. I want to minister. I want to get the word through to you. I want to minister to some of you and then let you go, especially as we get here towards, I mean, in going in December, we don't want to have the services very long and uh, want to focus on what God is doing and that is it. So um, that you can come in, be blessed and go home. So uh, uh, John 5 is one. Listen to this. And I'm just giving you something that I haven't prepared. I just want to go what the Holy Spirit is saying to me on here. Um, the Lord spoke to me a lot regarding visitations, habitations. There's still a feedback sound here, or is it your piano? There's still a feedback sound here. Guys, please, please try not to mess it around or make it worse. Um, so I'm just waiting for the sound to come right so that we can preach. John 5 verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. But I need piano. There's no, but don't take that away. I know we don't have our sound guy here today. So, but we need a replacement. So we need a, the guys, the staff or the team needs to organize a replacement or when um, the sound uh, guys aren't here. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Next verse. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. So within Bethesda. So I wanna, I wanna get into something here and we'll just go as, um, as uh, uh, the Holy Spirit leads. The word Bethesda simply means a flowing of water. It means a flowing river, but it specifically means water that is flowing. Are you guys with me? Meaning that the original intent, or if I can say the name or the meaning of the pool, is for the water to be flown, not for the water to be dormant. I don't hear the piano up here. This, or it's not full or anything like that. Seventh um, Bethesda. So it means to flow. It means flowing water. But then it goes on. It means house of mercy and grace. I'm going to say it again. It means house of mercy and grace. Say with Him, mercy and grace. And say flowing water. Where there is no grace, the water or the river can't flow. So fix the sound on, get it right so that we can flow and we can get God into the atmosphere or that God can come out of us. You know, the Scripture says this. It says that He dwells in us by faith. So it is my faith that makes him comfortable and gives him the enlargement of dwelling in me. And I'll explain that tonight. Which, which will then determine how God visits me or not. 
Are you guys with me? How your faith is stirred up. Do you have the ability to stir up the faith in you and uh, create an environment or create an atmosphere for God to come out and be able to touch people? Are you guys with me? So say with me, Bethesda. So the pool of Bethesda was there. It means the pool of flowing water. It means the pool of mercy and grace. The pool of flowing water. Verse number three, let's go to verse number three. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. I'm going to read it again. In these lay a great multitude, put on the King James, try to read what I'm reading, of omnipotent folk, of sick folk, of a great multitude of omnipotent folk, put in the King James, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Similarly, the moving of the water. Meaning there were people that were sick, that had a need, and they were waiting for an agitation or a moving. The word moving means kinesis, where we get the word kinetic from, which is kinetic energy. It is energy that is moving, are you guys with me? That comes with friction. Meaning, unless there is friction in your life, there cannot be a movement of God that is coming. What is a friction? It is an agitation that God will bring. It is a thorn in the flesh that He gave Paul to agitate him. To, I don't know if you guys are with me. Meaning God requires your flesh to be dead. So what would He do? He will bring an agitation. He will bring an irritation of the flesh. Because He cannot move unless your flesh is dead. And so many people are alive, even those that are in ministry, even those that are serving as leadership. Their flesh is alive, it hasn't died yet. And God cannot bring them to the place of using them in, their, in His fullness. Listen, God works and God works in your life to the degree that death is embraced. Anything other than death will keep the moving of the waters at bay. It won't allow the waters to be moving. Are you guys with me? So what is death? Or what is life in my flesh? It is anything that is according to my will, my right, me, myself and I. But you know, I have rights in this life. Yes, you have rights, but not in the kingdom. In this life, but not in the kingdom. So... Don't bring your rights of this life into the right into the kingdom life. The kingdom life says for you to go up, you need to go down. For the one for you to be first, you need to be lost. The kingdom life says if you want to be a leader, you have to serve. That is how the kingdom works. Are you guys with me? Meaning I can promote myself or want promotion in a natural life in a natural world any other way. And my rights, this and that, you will get nowhere in the kingdom or by the Spirit. Are you guys with me? 
so I can protect myself, I can preserve myself, and I'm always right, but in God's eyes, I am wrong. And what does it do? It stops the moving of the water. It stops the stirring or the flowing out of the river that should come out of you. I said this morning in Krugersdorp, I think I said it here also a little bit, many people are stuck in their minds. They are not in their hearts. So they lose emotions. They become motionless. They become, they become uh, uh, stagnant, but they, they cannot respond to God anymore with emotions, with love, with joy. They cannot respond to Him because their heart has been hardened. So God is unable to move. So what happens? He's stuck in the outer court. He's stuck in their heads. They are stuck in their heads. Yet He wants to go and let you move from the outer courts into the inner courts, which is the heart. Once you get to a place of emotions, you have the ability now to respond to God. And then you go to the place called the Holy of Holies, which is the belly of your spirit which is the matrix of your spirits, the womb of your spirits. It is here where God moves, not here. Your mind will always clash and your mind will always be in the way. This thing up here is the problem, not this thing in here. Are you guys with me? This thing up here is the problem, meaning your mind is the problem, not your spirits. Your spirit is here, but it is locked up by the emotions. You are unable to express yourself to God. You are unable to receive Him and you are unable to give Him out. Why? The flesh is alive. Are you guys with me? So in order for the flesh to really die, one has to preach in the heat like this for like four hours, five hours and let the religious leave, and then you'll see a, a movement. But um, I believe you, we, we're not going to do it because I believe that, uh, that, uh, 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 that you understand what I'm saying. Say with you, the moving of the water. So what happens is you have Christians that has a well, and not a river, or a well and not a fountain. They have a reservoir and not a fountain. They have stagnant waters and waters that are not moving. So God had to send an angel from heaven to begin to, at a pointed time, move the waters. Are you guys with me? But we are preaching old covenant here right now. So God had to move the waters. Jesus was walking still in the Old Covenant. Are you guys with me? Go with me to, where were we? Verse 2. Put on, uh, let me read again verse 3. Let me read verse 3 again. Because I want this revelation to drop. I'm just giving you what I got as I was standing here. Uh, we'll get into the visitation things right now. But if we do whatever God does, that's fine. In these lay a great multitude. Say with me, a great multitude. 
of impotent folks, sick people, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Meaning there are people that are waiting for the moving of the water. But when Christians carry dormant, stagnant water, they don't have the moving of the water in their lives. They cannot touch those who are sick. They cannot touch those who are blind. They cannot touch those who are lame. They cannot touch those who are sick. Because the movement of the waters is not there. A visitation has been upon their lives long ago. It, they can't remember when last God visited them. When last were you in your house? And like Job says, and I believe it is Job 29, where the Bible says that the friendship of God hovered upon His house. In another translation, it says the secret counsel of God. The secret place was upon His house. Meaning that when you were to walk into Job's house, God was there like a hedge of protection around Him. When lost, were you in a place when you felt a visitation of God coming to you? Not you pushing in, but Him inviting you. There's a big difference. Yes, He invited you at the cross, but I'm speaking about His manifest presence because He's inviting those who have a pure heart. When lost, have you had a moment of visitation? When you would be in your room and all of a sudden the presence would become palpable. It would become tangible. There would be a substance. It's like the atmosphere changed. And you know that God is there and He is inviting you into a place. The thing is, if our flesh is dead at that moment, uh, sorry, if our flesh is alive, we cannot respond because we cannot recognize. We cannot see, we cannot perceive, we cannot discern even that God is bringing a visitation. But when your flesh is dead, you will sense in the atmosphere, but wait, something shifted. I don't know if you hear what I'm saying. So we have alive Christians and dead Christians. Alive Christians cannot hear or sense or perceive what God is doing. But those who have their flesh crucified, that have died with Christ and is dead, they can feel but wait. The visitation of God is at hand. So what happens when I'm still alive? God brings discipline. Have your seats, have your seats. What happens when I'm alive? God brings discipline. So He breaks me. So we think, but why are others not broken, but I'm continually broken? Because my flesh is alive. Are you guys with me? So God will force and cause situations to happen, to break you and to bring a discipline so that your flesh can die again and you can receive the visitations of God and not be blinded by pride because it is the humble that receive grace, but the proud God resists. Are you guys with me? God, say with me, God resists the proud and He gives grace to the humble. So people are asking, how do I get grace? Be humble. Very simple. There's no prayer. There's nothing like this. Just be humble. 
drop the pride, drop the flesh. Be humble and you'll see a visitation. If the Bible says that God resists the proud, then it means He moves close to the humble. If God resists the proud, He moves close to the humble, which means He is near to the brokenhearted. So I can allow God to break me or I can break myself. I can cause myself to be in a state of brokenness or allow God to eventually step in and cause things to break me. And when He does it, it is usually chaos and it is very late. But if I stay in a place of brokenness, I stay in a place of humility, what happens? I allow the waters to be moved because my flesh is dead. So the Bible says the sick is waiting, the lame is waiting, the blind is waiting, and multitudes are waiting for the stirring and the moving of the waters, meaning that the fields are white with a harvest and it's ripe for the harvest. It's ripe for the taking, meaning that there's multitudes that are waiting, but they are waiting what? For the moving of the waters meaning they are waiting for Christians that are filled with the Holy Ghost, where the river can flow, where the river can flow out of, where there's a moving of the spirits. Meaning I must allow the waters to be moved in my life. Are you guys with me? Usually in my experience, when an angel would visit me or there'll be an angelic visitation, it would begin to stir up the atmosphere for a visitation. Let's go to the verse. John 5 verse 2. Let's go to verse 4. For an angel, so with me an angel, went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. I love the word troubled. So with me troubled. Actually what it means is Moved. So it means if God wants to bring a movement in your life, He troubles. I'm going to say it again. Because you leave our church, oh, you know, I'm so offended. Then I go to uh, some secret center of church where there's just loving hugs and, uh, you know, the pastor has the whole day from, the, from 8 o'clock in the morning till the afternoon to have coffee with you. He's even at the church the whole day because he just doesn't have anything. He's there. No, I, you know, there's so much love there. Let me go there. No, God is there to trouble you. When the troubling comes, it is a movement. It means that He's getting you ready for moving of the waters to come to your life. Say with me an agitation. Say a troubling. The word troubling. It's an agitation. It means agitation, but it's terrazzo. It means to move, to stir, to disquiet, to trouble, to irritate, to bring stress, to render anxiety upon someone, to perplex the mind with doubts. Are you guys with me? Everybody's praying for a movement of God, but the moment God wants to move them, they take offense because they've been troubled. And then we get an email. 
I just want to say my season at Encounter has ended because you are offended. Very simple. When offense comes, it is the beginning of the end of your destiny. You have one life to live. We have one life to live. I've seen people delay 20, 30 years or never enter into their destiny because of offense. And many times that offense doesn't come from people, it comes from God. He will trouble you and trouble you until you get humble in your heart to receive the moving of the waters a cause or allow an angel to move the waters in your life. Are you guys with me? You sit like you've heard these messages before. It's amazing. I'm just recapping for you. Say with me to trouble. Say to disturb greatly. It means it comes from the derivative to disturb greatly. That's where it's coming from. It comes from the root of disturbance to disturb something to disturb somebody meaning that if a church isn't agitated and disturbed and troubled God is not going to bring a movement in that place if your life is not troubled he's not going to bring a movement in that place so the angel comes to bring a troubling in the water God comes to bring a disturbance in your life why? Because your water has been standing still for too long and it needs a stirring and a moving by the Holy Ghost. Are you guys with me? Say with me a troubling of the water. Let's go on, let's go on, let's put the verse up. For whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. I'm going to read it again. Whatsoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in. I believe that's the, just the load shedding. I think so. Not sure. Of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Say with me, whosoever first. It means the one that is so hungry that wants to say that the moment I see that even trouble comes, I'm allowing myself to be in the trouble. I'm allowing my life to go through offense or to go through moments of distress so that I can be used by God. People go to the military and they don't care if the military breaks them. But they go to the church and they sing these songs, I wanna be a soldier for Jesus Christ. We are in the military and then the church breaks them and they cry. Should be like a certain pastor that makes his pastors run up a hill, up a mountain, up and down until they throw up because their cells don't grow. Um, I think we should do that. I spoke to Mike. I don't know if the story was true or not, but I think it was true actually. Uh, I spoke to him personally and uh, I thought, you know, will get their cells growing when they do that. So then, whosoever first, the one who puts himself first into the place, 
of saying, I want to become dead in my flesh. I want to become, uh, 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 I want to put myself in a place where there's the troubling and the stirring of the water. Where the angel is stirring, but the angel is bringing a troubling of the water. The moment I put myself in the troubling is the moment healing comes to my life. People don't see change in their lives because they don't see, they don't have a visitation of God. So with the visitations. When last, as I said earlier, have you had a visitation where God visited you, not you visit Him? A lot of people try to visit Him. It doesn't work like that. He invites you into a place called the manifest presence. He invites you into a place called the glory of God. But it is Him looking for a heart. The Bible says His eyes goes to and fro upon the whole earth, looking to see and to find someone whose heart is strong towards Him. Another translation says, whose heart is loyal towards Him. So God's eyes goes to and fro upon the whole earth, looking to find somebody who is saying, I am ready or my heart is aligned for a visitation. Then the grace of God, what is grace? Grace is a covering that comes on you. The moment grace comes on you is the moment people will see. But wait, there's something that is different about you. It is the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Grace is also another word for adereth, for the mantle that rests upon you. The moment grace covers and rests upon you, people will see the covering of God upon you. It is like you have been favoured by God. But his eyes is going to and fro looking. Who can I put my grace upon? I'm not speaking of grace or salvation. I'm speaking of grace for favor. Grace for the ability to be lifted. Grace for the ability to be promoted. In the kingdom, it works upside down. Are you guys with me? So his eyes is looking for hearts that are pure and saying those ones I'm putting my spirit upon. I'm putting my grace upon them. And I'm going to cause a moving of the waters to take place because their flesh is dead. Let's go on. Let's put the verse up. Let me try to get to a point. So whosoever first, after the water has been troubled, steps in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity, 30 and 8 years. When Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had now a long time in that case, he said unto him, will you not be made whole? The sick man, the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool. Hold on there. Are you guys with me? I'm going to read it again. He answered him and said, I have no man 
when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. He said, I want to get into the movement of God. But there's no man that can lead me there. God is still in the business of using an individual, trust me. The only thing is he can't find a man that is useful because he gets to the church and he sees a bunch of religious people, bunch of traditional people, or people who don't understand their identity, or people who are not humble or broken. They're humble for one week and then they're full of pride. They cannot be in a place of complete brokenness until the Lord lifts them. You know, the Apostle Paul said these words. He says, he says it is lawful for me to do this, but it is not beneficial. So he says, there are certain things that is your right, but it is not my right because of the call of God upon my life. So you need to determine what are the limitations when it comes to when God called you. I knew even when I was 18, 19 years old, when the Lord called me, 17 years old when the Lord called me, He said, you shall not go and do one, two, three. You shall not go and do this. You shall not go doing that. Why? Even though it is your right, it is now your limitation. It is your limitation to stay within your grace. Are you guys with me? And Christians are not sensitive to these limitations so God cannot use them. It's called jurisdiction in the Spirit. They are not sensitive to the silent rules that God gives them. Because we get into a liberal mindset and we're like, you know, it is my right to do this. Um, or in South Africa, what, is, what do they say? We demand uh, no fees or, you know, we demand to have this for free and that for free. In America, they say it is my right to have this. It's no different. It's just different terminology. But uh, we get into this mindset where the kingdom of God is totally the opposite. It's totally the difference. So that I knew when I was called at the age of 17, what is my limitations? I knew where the Lord, the Holy Spirit immediately began to minister to me. It was not difficult to hear His voice. You are a sheep. You know His voice. You don't need a prophet to hear His voice. Are you guys with me? God will speak to me in relation to you and I will prophesy, but I try not to make it a, a free for all every Sunday. Because you know, when you make something valuable, cheap, scarcity is the key to, to be in the bond. Let me rather change the wording. Scarcity is the key to value. Availability reveals that something is cheap. It can be found everywhere. Diamonds are rare, scarce, so it has to be dug deep. Are you guys with me? So what are the limitations that God has put upon you for the call of God for your life? There are things where I can get upset about or this or that and I can take offense with this and I can say that. No, no, no. There are limitations. Man might say, okay, it is your right. But God might say it is not your right. 
For example, Miriam and Aaron had a right to disagree with Moses in the natural, but in the spirit they had no right. So in the natural, the law that Moses himself put in place and violated and broke himself. And somebody just had a problem to say, listen, you put this law in place and now you're breaking it. And God is saying, I have a problem with you doing that. Listen to me. God has chosen vessels. Don't be only called, be chosen. Don't be only a called one. Be one that is sent. Are you guys with me? Don't be a called one. Be one that is chosen. Be one that has gone through the boot camp of the kingdom of God so that heaven can use you, that the fingerprint of heaven can be upon your life, that the breath of God can be upon your life, that your words can be anointed when you speak. Like Job was saying, when I spoke, they sat with their mouths open and it was like rain that fell upon them. Every time I opened my mouth, it was like rain that fell because I was anointed and I had the touch of God upon my life. So how do you get to that place? You get to the place of the approval of God. Maybe I'll teach on it soon. Has God approved or not? Yes, we all are approved in Jesus Christ. That's good. That's regarding salvation. I'm speaking calling. Are you guys with me? So even though we are all the same, we are not all the same. In the blood and in salvation, we are the same. But when it comes to rank and calling and grace, we are different. Clearly, otherwise everybody will be able to do everything that everyone is doing. Are you guys with me? So what are the limitations that God has placed upon you? What are the limitations? For example, when I served, when I served in the ministry, before I was sent out, when I served in the family that I was birthed in the ministry, God said to me, you shall not leave, be leaving until you're sent. It doesn't matter if you're there 20 years or 30 years. And it had to become a reality in my mind that it is, there wasn't even a question. It doesn't matter what was going to happen. I wasn't going to leave until hands were laid upon me and I was sent. Not even me asking. it's very comfortable to ask, you know. Uh, you know, uh, I think the Lord has called me there. Can I get your blessing? Yeah, you can get our blessing. But you can get a general blessing. There's a difference between a went one and a sent one. A went one can still be blessed under the general blessing that we are all blessed of God. But a sent one is sent with an assignment. Are you guys with me? And I'm speaking with this full-time ministry or with it's in the workplace. It doesn't matter. You can be a sent one in the workplace. The apostolic and the prophetic can be in the workplace. You see, you think apostles and prophets are just in the church. No. You have apostles and prophets that are in the workplace that can do certain things in the, um, in, uh, in the marketplace, that can do certain things in the secular world. And yet they have a calling of God upon them, but they are in a sent anointing. 
They are in a chosen anointing. They're not just a lone ranger doing their own thing, not having no impact. No, no, no. So I began to knew at the age of 17 when the moment I was saved, I heard His voice. The sheep hears my voice, knows my voice. And when the sheep hears or knows my voice, there should be no one here that is saying, I cannot hear the voice of God. That means that your salvation is possibly not real. I'm going to say it again. There's no one that is saved that cannot hear the voice of God. In fact, one of the signs of salvation, one of the signs of salvation is that you can hear His voice. Because He says, my sheep hears my voice. So if I'm a sheep, I will be able to hear His voice. Are you guys with me? His voice is simple to hear. It is not so complicated. It is here. Where does God dwell? It is here. A lot of people are looking for external things. They're looking for visions. They're waiting for dreams. The amount of people that are led by dreams is shocking. I'm telling you. I get messages one after the other. The amount of people that are led by dreams is shocking and not led by the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit speaks to you as a guidance, as an inner witness in here. He speaks to you as a moving and He begins to move you. But before a movement of God comes, death has to be present. So Paul makes these words clear and he says these words. He says, For us, for death works in us so that life can work in you. What he is saying, he says this, he says, death has its full work in us. And as death has its full work in us, Google me the description and see if you guys can find it for me and put it up for me. Death has its full work in us so that life can have its work in you. I want to show you something. So with the death in me so that life can be in others. How do I minister life? I must die to a place where my flesh is dead. Come on, are you guys with me? What is it? They're not finding in the back. What is it? 2 Corinthians 4.12 So then death is working in us. Let me, let me, let me, let me uh, try to get it, get something. I want to show you something. Zedano Sodom What is it? 2 Corinthians 4.12. I want to read it just out of... Uh, go with me to the, put it in the Amplified Version for me.
Thus death is actively, say with me, actively. Not it used to be. Not, you know, I died two years ago and I went through some testing to my Christian. No, no, no. It is actively at work in us. But it is in order that our life may be actively at work in you. Meaning I can only be successful or active in my service to you or to others if death is actively working inside of me. Are you guys with me? You can never successfully minister to people until death is actively working inside of you. And I'm speaking about the anointing of the Holy Spirit to have that tangible substance that when you take somebody's hand and you pray for them, that there is a result that is taking place. Or I'm speaking about the visitation of God that comes upon you. The invitation of God to bring you into the secret place. Ask yourself this question, when lost, have I sat, whether it was watching a movie, whatever it might have been, and I felt the presence of God suddenly come on me and is inviting me into a place. When was the last time? Because that will determine where my heart is with the Lord. Are you guys with me? God only visits those whom it is pleasant for Him to visit. He doesn't pleasant though, uh, visit those to whom it is unpleasant to visit. And where is He welcome? He's welcome where He can see His own image. Where can He see His own image? Those who are crucified with Christ. Those who have died with Him and have become the image of God. That when, when He looks at you, that He sees none of yourself alive anymore. But He sees the image of His Son in you. When He sees Himself, Listen, God doesn't love to spend time with you. He loves to spend time with Himself. That's why the Bible says, in the beginning, God says, He discussed with Himself, let us make a man in whose image? Our image. Why? Because when I look at man, I want to see myself. I want to spend time with myself. It's very simple. So I die so that there's nothing left of me. So that when God looks at me, He doesn't see me, but He sees Himself. So that when I look into a mirror, as in beholding the glory of the Lord, as in looking in a mirror, I behold the glory of the Lord. I am changed into that same image. So when God looks at you, He wants to see Himself. That is why Jesus came to be the firstborn of many brethren, that we can be conformed to the image of the Son of God. So how do I know? I must know what is the finished work of the cross that happened 2,000 years ago. The only problem is there's Christians that are not tapping into the finished work of the cross. So they live this life that is alive that is pompous and full of pride and God cannot visit them. Are you guys with me? Have your seats. So let's, let's go on here. Let's see what the story says on John 5 verse. Let me just see if there is something significant going on. 
Let's go to let's go to let's go to let me see where to go. Uh, I just want to see where to take this message. Say with you the moving of the waters. Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, I want you, I think it is, I'm just trying to look for it. 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, put it on the screen for me. So in the old covenant, an angel had to come and move the waters. In the new covenant, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, wherefore I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God so that I stir up the gift of God. That I stir up the waters that is stale in me or that is stagnant in me. How do I stir up those waters? I must apply death upon my life. I must kill the flesh. Are you guys with me? I must allow the troubling of the Lord to come upon me. I must allow the troubling that the angel of the Lord, listen to me. A lot of us pray for an angel here. Listen, when the angel of the Lord comes, the Bible says when the angel goes before you, he will afflict even your enemies. Many times when the angel comes, what is your enemy at this moment? It's not the devil, by the way. Are you guys with me? We think our enemy is the devil and we're fighting a battle that has already been fought. The Bible says there's one enemy to you. It is your flesh. It is the flesh that wars against the spirit. And it is the spirit that wars against the flesh. What is the flesh? When Paul was speaking of the flesh, he was speaking of legalism, meaning there's one enemy of God. It is called religion and the traditions of man. Mm, are you guys with me? It is not Satan. He was defeated, dethroned, and destroyed at the cross. Meaning that the war is over at the cross. But there's another war that is raging. It is your flesh. It's got nothing to do with Satan. It is your flesh. God's opponent is not the devil. Satan is his employee. Oh, are you guys with me? Have you seen Satan came in the book of Job and presented himself amidst the sons of God in the presence of the Lord. And he presented himself as a son of God in the presence of God. The Bible says the word present means to give an account. So Satan had to come and give an account to God why he's employed by him. If the Bible says that God owns everything, the earth and the fullness thereof, it means you even own Satan. Does it mean the devil will go to heaven? Absolutely not, okay? But it, does, it means that he owns him. So next year I'll be preaching deliverance or I will preach uh, uh, delivered from deliverance. Because so many people have been preached a gospel that puts them in continual bondage. 
and they're never coming to the finished work of the cross. I have this demon, then I have this demon. I thought you were a Christian. I'm not saying Christians can't have demons. Do we believe in deliverance? Absolutely, but get it over with. Then there's deep-rooted souls, things that can happen, but you understand the finished work of the cross. Yeah, I have this demon, and then, I'm, then, then, then I have this demon, but you're a Christian for, for 20 years, and you keep battling with the same demon. No, 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 no. Let me tell you what it is. It is you not wanting to take responsibility for your life. Very simple. Very simple. You need to maybe just uh, take responsibility for your life. Have a disciplined life and not blame everything on an enemy that has already been defeated and you're given power over you. And you say, I am cursed by this one. I'm cursed by that one. No one has been given the power to curse except prophets in the Bible. And even when prophets were given the power to curse, their words were controlled by God to bless. I will show you. Are you guys with me? So there were only two individuals who could, and the only reason prophets had the ability to curse is because they are the voice of God. So their source is God. So a curse only originates from God, not Satan. There's no such thing in Scripture of a curse coming from the devil. You know, when I preach these things, I see people's eyes going a little bit skew. <laughs> like it's not going through to them because you've been indoctrinated. You've been indoctrinated and you've been put into bondage by another gospel, a different gospel. It's called the bad news, not the good news. That's literally what Paul called it. Paul said another, a heteros, not a alos. He says another, a different gospel. Not another, but a different. Meaning, somebody came to preach a different, a heteros. Not another, an alos, but a heteros. Meaning another of a different kind, not another of the same kind. Meaning another gospel came in and it twisted this one. And they try to come and pervert it and put you back under bondage. Because Paul said, I came to the Galatians church. He says, listen, Galatians, when I visited you previously, the power of God was moving. But now when I visited you again, there's some trouble going on here. I don't see power moving anymore. For who has bewitched you that you should so easily be taken that you have started off in the spirit but have gone back to the flesh and the power of God has been taken, which means another one has come in, another gospel has begun to be preached. But he said, there's one gospel that I've been given. It is the gospel of grace. It is the good news of grace. That's it. It is the gospel of the new covenant and the new testament. It is the grace of Jesus Christ. It doesn't give you a license to sin. It empowers you not to sin. Without grace, sin will have a revival in your life. Trust me. Are you guys with me? Have you seen? So, let's go back to the Timothy verse that I said. He says, wherefore I put you in remembrance, Timothy. Timothy, I want to remind you 
that as the angel stood up the waters in the pool of Bethesda, which means the moving of the water, where is the pool of Bethesda? Say with me in my belly. It is the moving, it is the flowing of the water. So when the Holy Ghost visits, when God decides to visit you, the first thing He does, He brings a movement, a stirring. He begins to bring a nudge and you will feel it here. If you don't feel it here, it means your heart is hardened and you need to repent. So I said to Krugersdorp, how do I change my heart from a hardened heart? I repent. In genuine repentance and brokenness, I change my mind. And then God changes my heart. And He takes the heart of stone, He removes it. And He replaces it with a heart of flesh. Now that I have a heart of flesh, I can discern the currents of the movements of God. So now God comes and He visits me. And the first thing that happens when God visits me is He brings a strong desire, a nudging in my spirit. It's like I will sit in watching movie or doing something or being out and all of a sudden there's this desire. Maybe that desire will even stay for a week or two days or three days. But it's like you just have a desire to pray. You don't know why, but you have a desire to spend time with God or you have a desire to fast. It is step number one of a visitation that is prepared for you. Many people ignore that desire and they miss the visitation. Are you guys with me? Can I go through this quickly? Are you guys with me? Once that desire is there and in my experience, with me, it'll sometimes stay like a day, two days, three days. I can feel it in me. Like there's a pulling that is saying, I want you to pray. I want to meet with you. Meaning the moment I respond to that, God meets me. Are you guys with me? You see, no man can come to Him unless He draws Him. So the problem with many Christians is we want to get into we want to go into our room and want to pray and it is good to do that because you can be in a place where you are led and you are feeling and you're doing it out of good disciplines and God is there. That's fine. But when we're in the flesh, we want to do it in the flesh and we pray and God is nowhere to be found. He's in you but He's locked up and closed because you're doing it out of legalism, out of works. But then there's a place where God puts a strong desire in you the Bible says God works in us both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Meaning God puts in us a desire to call upon Him. King David said these words, I think it's Psalm 84 somewhere, he says these words. He says, revive us, O Lord, so that we may call upon Your name. Meaning you cannot even call upon the name of the Lord you cannot pray unless God is reviving and stirring and putting a desire in your spirits about Him. It is not the other way around. It is not praying and then a revival. It is a revival in you and then you are able to pray. Because no man can come unto me unless I draw him. So what does the Spirit of grace do? It begins to pull you towards Him. And even tonight when we pray for you, that I pray that a grace will be put upon you, that that stirring and that hunger will be put into you, that the visitation of God will come to you.
And when the visitation comes, that you'll have the spiritual sensitivity to respond to it and to constrain it, so they constrain it, to grab a hold of that moment, to capitalize in on that moment and make the best of that moment. Are you guys with me? So many times what will happen is it will stay with you, that desire, you can have your seats. That desire will stay with you for like two to three days. And as it stays with you for two to three days, God is waiting in a place for you because He's inviting you to come in. Are you guys with me? He's inviting you to come in. When I go outside of that invitation, it is okay. And yes, He hears all our prayers. But there's not a manifest presence. So there is the promptings and the leadings of the Holy Spirit where we begin to learn to say, okay, but I can feel the prompting. So what is this strong desire I'm speaking about? It is simply a prompting of the Holy Spirit that begins to prompt me. People's lives are a mess because they go from one wrong decision to another wrong decision to another wrong decision because they miss the moments of God and they miss the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Are you guys with me? I mean everything, even with us when, when we have to make major decisions or do certain things this year and we'll do all the arrangements, everything, it costs hundreds of thousands and obviously we can be reimbursed for that and then all of a sudden the Lord will say to me, no, don't do it. And then I base my life on the promptings and the leading of the Holy Spirit, not on common sense only or logic only. Because logic is here. The promptings are here. When you live your life by the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and God is always there to prompt you and nudge you, and to warn you and to stop you from doing a wrong thing. He's always there to cover you and to protect you and to pull you to do the right thing. He's always there to be sent, but He requires somebody to be sensitive. So once that strong desire comes in, it is the beginning of a visitation. It means that God wants to visit you. Now you need to navigate this thing correctly in order to capitalize in fully on the visitation of God upon your life. Are you guys with me? The second thing that will happen, there'll be a strong desire to begin to want to pray. So once you have the strong desire in you, all of a sudden there'll be this call to prayer where you'll be pulled and the spirit of prayer will come upon you. Put on for me, I think it is uh, Zechariah, Zechariah chapter number uh, 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 9, 12 verse 10. Zechariah 12 verse 10. So now the spirit of prayer comes. Zechariah 12 verse 10 says the following. It says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. Say with me, the spirit of grace and supplications. So there's a spirit of grace. That spirit of grace comes and brings the spirit of supplication, which is the spirit of prayer. It's meaning that prayer cannot come unless grace is on your life and God is pulling you towards Him. So He pours out the spirit of grace upon you. 
Now we can take it into the new covenant. What happened? Jesus Christ was on the cross. And the moment He was on the cross, what happened? Grace was poured out. The veil was torn. And when the veil was torn, all men can now come to Him. But this is in relationship to salvation, in relation to salvation. But I'm speaking about the calling of God. Are you guys with me? So this grace comes upon your life. It's that strong desire. It's that feeling, that nudging. And the moment that is there, that is the spirit of grace that has suddenly been poured upon your life. The moment the spirit of grace is poured out on you, it means God has given you grace to pray, to get close to Him and to embrace a visitation. I hope this makes sense. I know this is not your usual message, but I'm giving you technicalities of a visitation. So the spirit of grace is the desire. The spirit of prayer then comes after the spirit of grace has been put out. Now you have the strong place, the strong sensation and this call to go pray. And the moment you respond to it and you go and pray, meaning you have this desire, desire, and all of a sudden you say, you know what, I'm gonna go spend time with the Lord. It's not even about praying in tongues. It's about sitting in the place which you have put aside for the Lord and you just begin to turn your eyes upon Him and you focus upon Him. And as you focus upon Him, you wait upon the Lord. And as you wait upon the Lord, He will renew your strength. The moment you are in that place and you respond to that feeling which now is by prayer, you sit and you wait and you begin to pray, you worship and you wait. And He begins to lift you up. A visitation is at hand. Are you guys with me? So now you're in that place. Now all of a sudden, because you responded to that feeling, I guarantee you this. If you go into your place of prayer, it is like the manifest presence of God will be there instantly. You don't have to wait. It is there instantly. He is there. God lives in the secret place. The secret place is not a physical location. It is a spiritual moment and location in time. You get to the secret place by responding to this thing. When you respond to this desire, you go and pray. Now it becomes the secret place. It is there where God lives. So yes, I know we say a physical place and we build our secret place and that's all beautiful. But that is just symbolic of a spiritual condition, of a spiritual moment. So God pulls you to a spiritual moment by putting a nudging in your spirit. You begin to respond by prayer. You go and pray. Now all of a sudden where it is the secret place, God is there. Are you guys with me? Now as you begin to pray, something spectacular happens. Or something amazing begins to happen. This chair feels like it's going to fall. Or is it just uh, moving? Say with me, a force field. So the moment I begin to pray and I respond to that desire, there is a force field that comes around me. It is called the Adereth. Or let me put another word, it is called the cloud of God. The cloud is His glory. The glory is His presence. So now you begin to carry a a parameter or a uh, a, 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 a radius um, 
of the glory of God, His cloud begins to cover you. The Bible says that Jesus, I think it's in Luke 5, 17, that Jesus was in a house teaching and preaching. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Put it on quickly, guys. Follow me with the Scriptures, please. Luke 5, 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as He was teaching, when Jesus was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And listen to this. The power of the Lord, certainly the power of the Lord, was present to heal them. But, meaning there was a force field around Jesus as He was teaching. And in that vicinity, the power of God was present to heal. The power of God was present to deliver. The power of God was present to touch them. But they failed to recognize it and they failed to respond. So there were four friends on the outside that could recognize the presence and the force field around Jesus. And they knew how to respond. How did they respond? They ripped open the roof and they lowered their friend down in the force field of Jesus. I don't know if you hear what I'm saying. They knew, the Bible says they were trying to get through the crowd to get to them, but they could not break through to get to Jesus. Meaning they wanted to get into His force field, but they couldn't get into His force field. So they broke open a roof. What happened? They responded. They acted in faith and they did something that broke the rules. Meaning they violently, aggressively, passionately and desperately grab the hold of His presence and said we can sense the presence and the power of God is present to heal but we need to put our friends in His vicinity. Are you guys with me? Listen, everywhere where you see, there's more than five times in the Scripture where the Bible says, and the Lord healed them all. I'm going to say it again. There's more than five times in the Scripture when Jesus was moving, where the Bible says He healed them all. Yet now we're praying for people and it is a failure on all of our, 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 our sides. We pray for people and some get healed. But if He's the same yesterday, today and forever, and if He healed them all in the Gospels, it means there's still a place or a time where He can heal them all. Are you guys with me? But say with me a force field. So now I respond to the desire by prayer. And as I pray a force field, a cloud comes around me. I begin to carry the cloud. It's the beginning of a visitation. Are you guys with me? So now I respond. This is not just a once-off, but it means that I am a believer. I am discipled. Remember, for just that stirring to come, what needs to happen? My flesh needs to die. So you get into the church or in discipleship. So you're put into parking. You're put at the greeting of the door or the cleaning of the toilets. What are we doing? We're trying to align you to receive a visitation. Because in the arrogance and the pride of your own heart, you never go, God is never going to visit you with all due respect. So we're trying to put you in a place where your flesh is dead. And it's not by privilege or right but you know, I'm privileged, so I can't do this. No, 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 we're trying to kill your flesh so that God doesn't kill your flesh by some severe moment of discipline. 
So we're trying to put you in a position of serving because those who are lost are first. And those who serve will be great. That is the model of Jesus. And as they are serving, as they are, uh, as we, and then we put you in this place and you feel, you know, but all I'm good for is just serving in this church. That's fine. We are setting you up for a visitation. Because before the desire and the unction, we call it an unction, can come, you need to be dead. Then the moving of the waters come. When the moving of the waters come, it's the unction of the Holy Ghost that is beginning to pull you closer to Him. Now you respond by prayer, but that all happened because your flesh was dead and dead for a long time. And like the Apostle Paul says, we are actively dying so that life can come to you. I am continually in a state of death. I feel pain here, I feel pain there, I feel humiliated here, I feel embarrassed there. It's great. It is the movement of God that is upon your life. It is the stirring of the waters. Are you guys with me? It is you being prepared for God to begin to move upon your life. And then Paul says, stir up the gift, Timothy. Meaning the gifts of the Holy Ghost can only come out through this process that we are saying now. So now you respond by prayer. Now a force field begins to grow around you. Have a seat. So a cloud begins to grow. A vicinity begins to come. Uh, a vicinity begins to grow around you. Go over to Ecclesiastics 11 verse 3. Ecclesiastics 11 verse 3. Listen to this. If the clouds be full of rain, you know we get emails from people or inboxes or whatever you want to call it. I can't believe how he talks to, to his staff, you know, how he talks to Gerard, how he talks to this. Shush. You Luciferian, rebellious spirit. The day you have a church and it's great and big and successful, you come and talk to us. But up until then, you know, if you have a business and you're successful in that business or you know your trade and then some person want to come and be like a, you know, just yap, yap, yap. And you're thinking, what in, but yet in the kingdom of God, for some reason we think it is fine. And we, we look so foolish. So people would send us these... Um, would send us these emails and say, I can't believe he's talking like this or he's doing that. You don't have the calling that I have. God has given us the ability to shape but also to kill people so that we can have, we can get people to a place where the visitation, do you think the glory of the Lord will come into this church when everybody is alive and no flesh is dead? No, it won't come in. The Bible says no flesh will stand in my presence and glory. No flesh will stand in my glory. No flesh will stand in my presence and glory. No flesh will be able to, to, to receive the glory and take the glory. No flesh can stand in my presence. That is why the priests were not able even to stand under the glory of God. That is why when Uzzah touched the ark, he died. Because the moment flesh comes into contact with the glory, it dies. It can physically, it cannot stand in the glory. So God is looking for dead individuals 
before He can visit them. Are you guys with me? You see, Moses had visitations of God. The visitation of God didn't first start at the burning bush. The first visitation of God upon Moses was when he killed the Egyptian. I'm going to say it again. The first visitation God had upon Moses was when he killed the Egyptian. He killed the Egyptian, right, for, with because there was a fight and he was going to kill a Jew. And uh, so he stood up and he, why? It was the first visitation. It was the first place where God came and visited him, but his flesh was too strong. And he couldn't recognize what this desire was or what was happening in him. So God is saying, you need a wilderness for 40 years because you cannot discern my presence. If my son has to go into a wilderness for 40 years, to have the Spirit of the Lord come upon him. I mean, 40 days. Who are you, Moses? So Moses, you're going to go into the desert for 40 years. And only after 40 years will I have another visitation with you. So Jesus had to go into the wilderness for 40 days before the Spirit of the Lord could come upon him in Luke 4.18. Why? Because God knows that even he had certain flesh that had to die. He was 100% man and 100% God. Are you guys with me? And the moment He came, hmm. The moment He came out of it, the Bible says the power of the Spirit rested upon Him. So, the Bible says, in fact, it says like this, that He came out of the wilderness with the power of the Spirit of God resting upon Him. He came out in the wilderness under the power of the Holy Spirit. Meaning God will send you into a wilderness, into a place where your flesh will die. So there is power and a force field can rest upon you. That whoever came into His vicinity, into the vicinity of Jesus, was healed and was delivered. Are you guys with me? So say with me a force field. Go with me to Mark 9 verse 7. Mark 9 verse 7. Oh, sorry. Wait, Ecclesiastes 11 verse 3. Ecclesiastes, let's keep it on there. Listen to this. If the clouds be full of rain. Say with me, if the cloud is full. They empty themselves upon the earth. It is speaking of the cloud of the glory of God that is upon your life. That the moment it is full, it has to empty itself upon those you are ministering to. But if the cloud is not full, there's going to be no rain. That's why when Job was speaking, he said, I just opened my mouth and it is like rain that falls upon the people because my cloud is full. How do I get my cloud full? By spending time in the prayer, by responding to the call. Are you guys with me? Go with me to Mark 9, 7. Mark 9, 7. We'll finish just now. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them. So they overshadowed them. There's a cloud that will overshadow you. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. It is in that place 
where the force field begins to grow around you, where the cloud comes on you, where you begin to understand your identity and that you are the beloved. Jesus was the firstborn so that we can be the firstborn. Jesus became the beloved so that you can become the beloved. Are you guys with me? Why do you think Paul would write the letter saying the beloved? Beloved, beloved. Because you are the beloved of the Lord. Why? Because of one person, person, one person only, Jesus Christ. That was His only begotten Son. His beloved Son. Are you guys with me? This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Go over to Luke 135. Luke 135. Listen to this. I'm speaking about the force field. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon you. Certainly the Holy Ghost shall come upon me. And the power of the highest shall overshadow me. Meaning when the Holy Ghost comes upon me, when I respond to these things I've been teaching tonight, there is going to be a cloud that will overshadow me. It is the overshadowing of God. It is the force field of God. It is a cloud, a vicinity that comes around you. Are you guys with me? It is the epikahitso. Go through Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. It is the epikahitso. And I know this morning we actually didn't teach and tonight we are teaching. It is okay. It is hot. I at least want to leave you with some dew or uh, that you just feel a little bit refreshed. We're going to pray right now. We're not going to be, I don't want to be long tonight. And we know all things, so the all things, work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Not only those who love, because many love Him, but they are not called according to His purpose. How do I know I'm called according to His purpose? I respond to the promptings. When the Holy Spirit prompts, prompts, that first point I said, the strong desire, the good desire that comes, the more I respond, guess what? The more I'm in the purpose of God for my life. The more I'm in the purpose, all things, some of you, all things, that means sins, sickness, troubles, death, all things work together for the good. Meaning now, it, because you have the force field around you, because you began to pray, because you responded to the promptings of the Holy Ghost, now everything that is thrown against you is changed into working for your good because it hits a force field, a shield around you. And the moment it hits it, it is changed for your good and it is working out for your good. I don't think you understand what I'm saying. They throw against you and accuse you of doing this, but yet God turns it around and you are lifted and promoted. They say that you are fired and God turns it around and He promotes you. Why? Because right in the beginning, you responded to the unction and the promptings. But even before the promptings, your flesh was dead. So why, how do we kill your flesh? 
We put you in the church to begin to serve. We say you serve those, you serve that, do that outreach. Run an e-group here, stand by this door, do the car security or why? So that your flesh can be dead, so that eventually you can be shifted into the will of God for your life. It is simple. Serve the purpose of God. Say all things work out together for the good for my life. You see, we love to quote this verse. I just say we love to quote this verse. But it doesn't apply to everyone. It applies to those right at the beginning who has died. And then has responded to the promptings and the leadings. And then they have gone into a place of prayer. The spirit of prayer has come upon them. And then a force shield is beginning to build around them. So now everything that comes against them is turned for their good. Are you guys with me? Now God begins to change things or He begins to change your life. I'm not even going to go into this today, but now He begins to change your life. Now this is the moment where people are looking, they sing a changed life. Now do you know how discouraging it is to preach and you never see people reaching this point? Or you only see one or two percent reaching the point of a changed life where things are now turning out for their good. Meaning it is at this point if I can use a secular term where your luck changes. Are you guys with me? So people sow and tithe, but they don't go through the process. So now you become an unprocessed Christian. An unprocessed Christian is an untested Christian. Never be used by God. Because their flesh is too alive. And they'll become an offense. They'll become a stumbling block. And they'll actually delay the purposes of God. And eventually they'll become the will of Satan in a place. So now this is the place where my life changes, is when things are turned for my good. Now people are like, but this person is just being promoted. This one, it's like everything they touch, things are just, there's a changed life about them. When we look at them, their countenance is lifted. Their countenance is full of light. How do I get my countenance full of light? Confession. Confession is not for salvation. When the Bible says confess that your sins may be forgiven you, it's not meaning that in that context. The forgiveness of sins there is to restore you back to the fellowship of God. So confession is a rule to restore your countenance, not your salvation. So if you want to be full of light, what is the rule to put in? To find a brother and a sister that is more righteous, that is strong in faith. I confess my trespasses to them. I confess my mistakes to them. They pray for me and I am healed and my countenance is lifted and the light of my countenance has come back to me. Cain has lost his countenance and the Lord saw. He said, Cain, what has happened? Why is your countenance so down? Because I murdered my brother, that's why. Are you guys with me? So when sin enters, the countenance is dropped. So it's very easy to prophesy over somebody and see sin. You just look at the countenance. Are you guys with me? 
So is it okay? I'm giving you one step, two step, three step, four step, five step. So what is the first one? Say with me, death. Say with me, uh, 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 a strong, uh, say with me, a desire, an unction. Say with me, prayer, which is the response to that unction. Say with me, a force shield. Once that is done, then say with me, a changed life. Once there's a changed life, I step into a place called the commanded blessing. Go Psalm 133, verse 1. 133, verse 1. Now, because I, my life is beginning to change, everything that is thrown against me is, is turned for my goods, according to the, because I'm the purpose of God. Now I'm in that place. Now God begins to command His blessing upon my life. So I live in the commanded blessing. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the heads, running down on the beards, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon. So it is the dew of Hermon. Descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there, wait, does it say then? Does it say there? So where is the there? It is Mount Hermon. So we need to find out what is Mount Hermon. Are you guys with me? For there the Lord commands His blessing. Mount Hermon is also Mount Zion, as you can read in the Scripture. Descending upon the mountains of Zion. So in Scripture, Hermon and Zion is the same mountain. Where is Mount Zion? Here. For there, God commanded His blessing. But King David says this, it is like the dew of Hermon. It is like the dew of Hermon. Now on the mountains of Hermon, it was this, this was happening. It was wet with dew 24 hours a day. There was no rain or thunderstorms or anything like that. But when you would step onto the mountain, it was wet as if it rained the night before. It's wet continually, meaning you are continually wet with the blessings. The dew speaks of the anointing. So it's not, you see, the problem with Christians is they have a once of rain that comes upon them. Once a year at the Ascent Conference, at another encounter conference, he's saying that the dew of Hermon, the continual anointing, the continual force shields, the cloud that is continually upon your life, when the anointing is resting upon you continually, there, there's a place called there. There I command my blessing. So now you step into a place called there. You become the place called there where God commands His blessing because all things are turned together for the goods. I don't know if you hear what I'm saying. And you become Mount Zion. You are continually 24 hours a day under the anointing. The cloud is upon you. 
And wherever you go, the cloud is emptying itself. You become a visitation of God, meaning that people can come and visit you in order to visit God. Now we can go a step further. Are you guys with me? Timothy, the irrevocable blessing. Timothy, mm. the irreversible blessing. Go with me to uh, Genesis 27 verse 3. Now once you get into a place called the commanded blessing, you step into a place called the reverse irreversible blessing of the Lord. Genesis 27 verse 33. 33. Is the word making sense? Is it making sense? Then Isaac trembled exceedingly. Now listen, what is happening here? Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who, where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came. He was speaking to Esau. That's right, he spoke to Esau. So you had Jacob and Esau. Esau missed his blessing. I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. Do we have the Living Bible TLB? See if you guys have it. Let me read it. I told the guys I must have all the Bible translations. Let me read it. So Isaac realized I gave the blessing to the wrong one. Are you guys with me? But the moment a blessing is gone forth, the moment a blessing is commanded, it is irreversible. So let me read it to you out of the Living Bible. Isaac begins to tremble noticeably. Isaac said, Then who is it who was just here with the venison? And I have already eaten it and blessed him with an irrevocable blessing, an irreversible blessing. And the Bible says that Esau left the place and wept bitterly and found no place of repentance. Repentance there simply means he found no place that he can be blessed anymore because the blessing was released to somebody which means once you step into the commanded blessing, you step into the irreversible blessing. It is unable to be reversed. It is unable to be removed. It is unable to be revoked. Meaning that once God has blessed you, you are blessed. I don't even think you understand what I'm saying. It's not a matter of stepping out of the blessing or in the blessing. Once I am blessed, I am blessed. It is irreversible, irrevocable. Now he's going to another one. Say with me the last step. <clears throat> Go with me to 
Well, let me, let me read another verse on the irreversible blessing. Go Numbers 23 verse 20. Numbers 23 verse 20. Numbers 20. Hey, listen, you're getting revelation that you shouldn't be getting. You should not be getting it. I don't know where you will find it. I'm not sure in this country. Maybe there is places. I sat in great churches with great conferences. You sat in great conferences and you sit with anticipation that God is about to move. And you sit there and then they say, Amen, God bless you. Let's stand up and you're thinking, what a, what a, I'm still waiting on the Lord. 27 minute message, that is it. A conference. I go, oh, God was in the place. I'm thinking, no, he was not. And it was just a motivational speaker for 27 minutes. No revelation of the word. Are you guys with me? So I trust the word that we are preaching will eventually grow you and grow the church. That you don't just keep it selfishly for you. This is revelation, trust me, that is labored for. This is revelation that is, uh, it doesn't just come. For you to understand this processes or to get this understanding, God does not cast His pearls before the swine. Meaning that you are not swine. Meaning that if He doesn't give it to others, that they are swine anyway. Are you guys with me? But the greatest danger we can do is to sit and do nothing with it. Or allow our clouds to grow and to empty it out, uh, and to empty itself out onto others. So go, Numbers 23, verse 20. Before we get there, you know what legalism does? Legalism. I've sat with great preachers, great gifts. And they would be so legalistic. If you sin, you're going to go to hell. That's what they believe. They preach it to their church. It's a very legalistic lie. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do this. No, you don't have to do anything. That's the good news. That the Bible says that the handwriting of requirement has been wiped out against your name. It's very simple. Has been wiped out. And they live these lives of... Uh, very legalistic and they look great in front of the crowd because a mask is on of pretense and the gift is moving because the gift is without repentance they get home and they beat up their wife and we have seen it as ministers they beat up their wife or they go on a drunk stupor they get drunk and they go missing for two three days I'm speaking about great ministers. You've even seen the news. Why does it happen? Legalism. The Bible says where there is law, there's a revival of sin. So it's a pressure cooker 
that is taking place. And it is just because you pretend and pretend and pretend in front of the crowd. And the moment you don't have to have that mask on, it explodes. And there's a revival of sin. And you become the devil you're preaching against. Legalism. That is why I'm preaching the message of grace. That you can understand grace. I've seen it with preachers, one after the other, after the other. Trust me. You look at them, you think they are so holy. And then you see them in the night. They, they won't care what words they use, how they swear, how they drink, how they beat up their spouses or their husbands, some husbands, some wives. Some preachers really beat up their husbands because some husbands are married to husbands. Some... <laughs> so uh, legalism will bring a revival of sin because you're not to be genuine, authentic and real if I put on a show here you see, what does grace, the gospel of grace do? And the problem is that only once these preachers fall in that sin, then all of a sudden they get this great revelation of grace. So now all of a sudden when we preach grace, people think I've fallen into sin. What is sin? No, we haven't fallen into what you think of a moral failure. No. Sin is something totally different, but let's call it a moral failure. They've called into a mor they fell into a moral failure. And then they would get this revelation. No, we've been preaching it for many years. You would hear if you've been with us for many years will sneak it into some messages and preach it. Because I understood the revelation of it for many years. It is just that people are so difficult to catch, but God is a God of grace. His anger ceased on the cross, trust me. His wrath ended at the cross. He poured out all His wrath at the cross. Trust me on that one. Towards sin, everything on the cross. Are you guys with me? And He rested at the cross, as I said this morning. That is the resting place of God. We think God rested on the seventh day after creation. No, He didn't. Because He was still after that making a mantle and an adereth for Adam and Eve because they sinned. So God was working. And then He came down from His throne and He visited Abraham physically in person. So God was working. So He wasn't resting. Only when His Son was on the cross and God said, It is finished. From that moment, He rested. That means you have entered into the rest of God. Not your rest. Into His rest you have entered. So as God rested, now salvation is entering into His rest. There's no more works. There's no more sacrifice. There's no more offering. There's nothing. You entered into the rest of God. That is the good news of grace. It is the finished work of the cross. It needs to be preached again to the church so people can know that I need to be delivered from deliverance. Have you seen it? <clears throat> Numbers 23 verse 20, listen to this. Behold, I received the command, so Balaam received the command to curse the armies of God. 
But God gave him a command when he went and spent privately with God. God said to him, now I've blessed Israel. They are the people that is blessed. Behold, I've received the command to bless. He says, I've received the command from God to bless. And He has blessed Israel. And I cannot reverse it. Verse 23. Listen to this. For there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob. Let me rephrase that for you. There is no curse against the child of God. There is no sorcery against the child of God. No curse can hold on to you. And when you are blessed, it cannot be reversed. Ah, uh, Isaiah 54 verse 17 says, No weapon formed against me shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, say with me, in judgment, everything that judges me, I shall condemn. So that means everything that is thrown against you is turned for your good. But every curse that comes against you goes back and curses them. So that means you become the blessing. So now you enter into a last phase called becoming the blessing. Are you guys with me? Go with me to Genesis 12 verse 2. We'll close with you. Genesis 12 verse 2. Now you become the blessing. Genesis 12 verse 2. Listen to this. I will make you a great nation, Abraham. I will bless you and make your name great. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Say this with me. Say, my, say God will make me a great nation. He will bless me. No. Say, He has blessed me. And He has made my name great. Now listen to this. And you shall be a blessing. You will not only be blessed, but you will become a blessing wherever you are. I, you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curse you. And in you, say with me, in Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now hold on. Say this with me. Say, I am a blessing. Those who bless me will be blessed. Those who curse me will be cursed. And in me, say it again, say in me, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You need to understand this, but where is this in the Bible? Galatians 3 verse 26. Go Galatians 3 verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. How many of you believe you are sons of God? It's beautiful, but listen to this. Next verse. 
For as many as of you were baptized into Christ, have put on the adereth called Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Next verse. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Meaning you have become the blessing and whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. I say I am a blessing. I'm a commanded blessing. I'm an irreversible blessing. I am a blessing in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, give a praise offering, church. The visitations of God. Knowing how, what happens. I just gave you all the steps of what happens with the visitation. From the unction, from death to the unction to everything, to the desire, to the prayer, responding by prayer, the four shields, things beginning to change, turned out for your good, the commanded blessing, the irreversible blessing, and you becoming the blessing of God. So this means whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. That every word spoken to you in judgment, you shall condemn. You shall condemn. That God has given you the power in your mouth to condemn certain words. That Balaam says the people of Israel, which means the church, is already blessed. And I cannot reverse it. Because God has only realized I cannot curse what God has blessed. If God has blessed you, how can a witch curse you? If God has blessed, if God has blessed you, how can somebody curse you? How, how can a generational curse be upon your life if you're blessed? If Christ became a curse upon the cross so that you don't have to become a curse, you are the seed of Abraham. You are the blessed of Abraham. It is catching a revelation of this. So these are the things, just keep standing. These are the things that the visitation of God brings to you.